why we get this weather we do. Uh, but something happens every every Sunday morning that that I, I need you to know um, and need you to hear because it it fills me with gratitude every Sunday when I'm in my office trying to figure out how to end my sermons. Uh, outside through my window every Sunday is Larry and Lucas shoveling the entire walkway, uh, and they showed up a good 45 minutes earlier than usual today to give us um, access to our church. So can we give them a a round of applause, please? I know I appreciate it. I know Bill appreciates it. And I know you guys appreciate having um, access to your church building on Sunday. It makes a huge difference. So so thank you, Larry and Lucas out there. Um, So sermon time. So I started off with God be with you, but you know, let's start it off a different way because it is the Easter season after all. And for those of you who might be new to the whole church thing, there's this thing that we do during the Easter season, and we did it at the top of the service. It's this thing where someone says, Christ is risen, and you respond, he is risen indeed. For some reason, it's indeed. I tried to find this out uh, because indeed seems like such a strange word. He is risen indeed. Like, I, it seems so missed out of place. Uh, but that's, that's what we do. That's how we say. It's a very churchy thing. Uh, but we say it. We do that because it's meant to draw us into the wisdom and the truth that Easter and resurrection is not something we simply hear about, but it's something that we respond to. And starting every service, every sermon off with, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, it's meant to draw us into this space where we can not just hear the good news of Easter and resurrection and what it means for us and how it shapes our lives, but we actually can receive it, we can embody it, and we can respond to it. So if we could, because it's the Easter season, let's start out the way that we should. Christ is risen. Oh, nice. I like it. So the hope and the prayer for the rest of Easter is that we'll start off that way every single week, and we'll get drawn deeper into uh, Easter and, and resurrection and explore what that means for what it means to be human and alive in this world. And so each week we'll look at some Bible stories about resurrection and Jesus appearing to different people, and then we'll ask one of the most important theological questions that you can never ask of any single Bible story. So what? Who cares? What is this saying to me? How is this story my story? What does this say to us about being human and alive in the world? And so today, my friends, as we head into this, and I try to remember what it means to preach, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about a story in the Bible. We're going to ask a question. We're going to talk about peace and breath, and then we'll see where we end up. Because I just got carried away watching Larry and Lucas shovel and never wrote the ending to my sermon. Which means I should have come out and helped you. But I was just, I was just so humbled. But before we go, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and let's say a prayer. All right, God. Uh, so this time is for you. Help us center ourselves. Help us be present. Um, and may you take these words of mine and make them your own. Speak through them, around them, underneath them. Uh, give us each and give us collectively something good and beautiful to chew on. 
And so, God, we ask that you do your thing. Amen. All right, so there is a story in the Bible. You heard it earlier on in the service. Um, It's the very last part of John's gospel. This is the story that John chooses to end his gospel with. And it picks up right where we left off last week on Easter Sunday. Mary Mags, one of the followers of Jesus, she's just encountered the risen Christ. And she's experienced resurrection, and she runs off to tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive, and everything that he told them is coming true. And the disciples were told, and this is where our story picks up, Uh, having heard the news from Mary, are hiding out behind locked doors, stowed away in some attic somewhere, when suddenly, out of nowhere, Jesus appears in the middle of the group. But before the disciples can freak out, Jesus says, Peace be with you. And he breathes on them, saying, Receive the Holy Spirit and go and continue my work. And with that, he vanishes as quickly as he appeared. And then fast forward an entire week, the disciples are still locked in that attic somewhere. But this time, Thomas, one of their friends, is with them, and they're all, oh man, you wouldn't believe it, Jesus showed up. And Thomas is all, no way, I won't believe it unless I touch him myself. Which suddenly, poof, just like before, Jesus shows up in the middle of the group, says, peace be with you, he lets Thomas touch him, and then again, he vanishes as quickly as he appeared. And that's it. That's the story. That's how the writers end John's gospel. And it's such a good story, isn't it? There's so much amazing stuff going on here. We could seriously preach on this for five weeks. I worked it out. You could get five sermons out of this, and then we'd just be scratching the surface. We could have an entire sermon on how the risen Christ has a physical body, which then forces us to ask a really beautiful, challenging, and important question. How do we redeem our bodies? How can we see our own bodies not as sources of torment and shame and frustration, but actually as good, beautiful, and maybe even holy? There's stuff in this story about how the disciples did not believe Mary, a woman, which again forced us to ask a really good question. Which marginalized voices in our lives and world do we need to turn up? What voices do we need to do a better job at listening to? And there's stuff about why Thomas isn't there. Where's Thomas? Why isn't he with the twelve? What is he doing? Where do we go? What do we do when we experience loss, rejection, and disappointment? What are the places we go? What are the things that we do? All good things for us to rumble with, none of which we'll talk about today. We're going to go down a different road, uh, one which also makes this story our story, uh, and one that takes us into a place that I think a lot of us, um, I know myself big time, struggle to navigate, um, and one thing that can show us why these resurrection stories matter and why resurrection needs to be at the very core of our faith. And so to see that, uh, a question for us. Why is that door locked? Why is the door locked in this story? Now we're told in the story that they're hiding out from the Jewish and probably the Roman authorities. The disciples no doubt feel that what happened to Jesus could very well happen to them. Okay, fair, legit. 
But let's get some more altitude on this um, and go a bit deeper and wider. And so let's ask the question again. Why is the door locked? And let's get super technical. Well, probably because someone locked it. Uh, Well, who locked it then? Well, who's in the room? The disciples. Why would the disciples lock the door? Well, who are the disciples? Here's a group of people who are searching for something bigger than themselves, looking for something that hums with reverence and truth and beauty, and people who found that something in Jesus. Here are some people who left everything behind. Their homes, their families, their jobs, their friends, their dreams. Left it all behind to follow Jesus. And these are the people who, two days earlier, saw it all. Saw everything that they invested their lives into come crumbling down on Good Friday when Jesus was killed. Here's a group of people who, when Jesus asked them to stay awake as he went to go and pray, fell asleep not once, but twice. Here's a group of people who, when Jesus got arrested, ran away. Here's a group of people who, when having the chance to own their beliefs and their conviction and their identity, denied it all three times. Here's a group of people who, when one of their closest friends came to them to share her experience of seeing something miraculous, didn't believe her. And here's a group of people who, even after seeing Jesus alive, and even after being told by Jesus to get out, are still locked up in that room. Still up there, wondering what it would mean for them to leave that room. So again, let's ask the question, why is the door locked? The door is locked because of one of the most powerful and most complicated emotions that humans can ever, ever, ever experience. Fear. The door's locked because of fear. We know fear, don't we? I know it. You guys know it. Let's all own it. We know fear. It's okay to acknowledge that. And that's all right. Fear is a good, it's a normal human emotion. Fear is that emotion that whenever risk enters the picture, it says, stop, go back, hold off. Fear is that emotion that reigns us in and slows us down whenever we enter into something new and strange and unfamiliar. Fear is that emotion that's responsible for keeping us alive and safe and comfortable. We know fear, don't we? We've all experienced it. And while fear is uh, an important emotion, it's one we need to learn to recognize its voice, we need to learn to listen to it. Uh, Here's the thing about fear. Here's the thing that we all need to remember about it. You can never let it drive. As the amazing Liz Gilbert will say, terrified people make terrible decisions. Isn't that great? Terrified people make terrible decisions. Because that's the thing about fear. As great and as helpful as it can be, we know where it leads, don't we? We know the kind of life and world fear creates. It's a life and world of anxiety and worry. A life and world that's overly safe, controlled, and managed. It's a life and world locked behind those proverbial locked doors. 
locked minds, locked hearts, locked borders, locked communities. A life in a world where a life in a world where it keeps just as much out, just as much as it keeps us in. A life in a world where we're stuck, hiding in some attic, not wanting to go anywhere, not wanting to let anything come in. Anyone know what I'm talking about? We recognize that emotion. We know where it leads. We've, we've been in that world. Yeah, me too. I think we've all been there. We see that going on in this story, and we see that going on in our lives. And it's an intersection we all, we all struggle to navigate because the thing is, we, we, we don't want that life and world, do we? We don't want one controlled by fear, do we? And we know deep down that's not the life and world we want. We know deep down that's not the life and world that God wants us to have. And so the question for us becomes, what do we do with it? What do we do with our fear? How do we hold it? How do we make it through those intersections where we worry about the future? What do we do with our anxiety we have about our kids, our grandkids? What do we do with the fear that our world is just falling apart? What do we do with that fear of that op- opportunity, that, that something new, a beautiful, amazing thing could be ours, but it just takes up so much risk? What do we do with the fear of our parents getting sick? What do we do with the fear that our church is changing and we don't know what that means? What do we do in those moments when something good, beautiful, and amazing could be just around the corner, but everything inside us says stop? Don't go any further. Get back. Close the door. Lock it and stay put. What do we do? Do we go back? Or is there another option? And I think, I think we can see the diff- another option here in this story. I think we can find the answer to what we do with our fear right here in this text. So let's go back to that story. In the midst of the disciples' fear, in the midst of everything yelling to keep that door locked, don't go out, don't let anything come in, in the midst of bunkering down and hiding out, who shows up? Jesus shows up. And what does Jesus do? He says, peace, and he breathes on them. He says, peace be with you, and then he breathes on the disciples. Something really beautiful is going on in this moment. Something that those of us who get caught up in fear, something that those of us who are struggling to navigate those intersections, something that we really need to hear. Because that peace that he's offering, it's not just any kind of peace. And that breath that he's breathing, it's not just any kind of breath. That peace that Jesus is offering, it's shalom. It's that very peace of God. It's that peace that quieted the chaos at the very beginning of creation, making room for God to create things. It's that peace that quieted the storm, Letting the disciples in that boat know that they'll be okay. 
It's a peace that calms and quiets. A peace that centers and reassures. It's a peace that in the midst of it all, even in the middle of your fears and worries and anxieties, lets you know something really profound and liberating. That you are not alone, but God is on your side. And the breath that Jesus is offering, it's not just any breath, it's the very breath of God, that very spirit of God. It's that animating force that spun the universe into motion. It's that energy that's moving creation forward. It's that wind that liberates and sets free. It's that presence that empowers and strengthens. It's that spirit. Even in the midst of it all, in the midst of your fears, your anxieties, and your worries, lets us know something profound and liberating. That you can have the courage to stand up persevere, and unlock that door and get out of your attic. So what's going on here? What's Jesus doing? In response to their fears, Jesus is calling them into a life of bravery and a life of courage. Because here's the thing, and I think Jesus gets this and he knows this. Those attics and upper rooms, those places that we lock ourselves into, What would be a different word for those things? I think tomb would be appropriate. Those are those places that we lock ourselves in to die. Those places where we cut life off from happening. Those places that we just settle up for the rest of our lives and say, I'm going to camp out here while life passes us by. The things that stop us from experiencing life as it was always meant to be. I think Jesus knew this. And the truth and wisdom of resurrection is you don't need to live like that. A life locked away in some attic in some upper room, that's not how you were meant to live. You don't need to live like that. And so Jesus offers us what we need to rise up and live as we were always meant to live. Peace, to realize you are not alone. Peace, to let the noise die down. And hear the news that you don't have to live like that. God is on your side. You don't need to live like that. And spirit to breathe in, to rise up above your fears, to be animated by something bigger than yourselves, to unlock the door and step out into new life. So let's end with this. Because we're all human, because we all know what fear is like, because we all rumble with it. What are the things that you're scared of? What are those things in your lives that terrify you? What are the things out there that make you lock the door? What are the things in here that make you lock the door? What are those things that scare you and keep you in your place, that put you in your tombs? So whatever they are, as they rise up into your heart and into your mind, may you hear the words of Jesus, these liberating, powerful, and profound words. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. You don't have to live like that. Peace be with you.
And may you breathe in that spirit of God. That animating force. That ground of our being. That source of our life. That thing that gives us the strength and the courage to step forward. To unlock that door. And enter into the kind of life that's waiting. A life with God at your side. A life as it was always meant to be. So peace. Breathe. Rise up. Leave your tombs. And embrace life as it was always meant to be. Amen.